Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can he keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The Bible clearly, over and over and over and over again, gives us this picture of that we're supposed to do life in community with one another. You just witnessed it with our baptisms. You saw people who had discipled others. You saw husbands loving their wives and baptizing them. You saw pastors stepping in and baptizing people. And and maybe you're even here today and you saw baptisms that took place by other people than the pastoral staff. We here believe that Matthew 28, 18 to 20 was given to individuals. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them evangelizing them. And so we see that as a command individually. And so you saw community take place in the tank behind me where someone came alongside of someone, introduced them to Jesus, encouraged them in their walks, and now saw the next step of baptism. Two are better than one. Life was never meant to be done alone. Yet we live in a world that's very independent. We live in a world that says we can't tell people our struggles. We live in a world that says, hey, you're the only one that has that problem. And the enemy wants you to believe that. And so we isolate ourselves from God in these dark rooms and dark places all alone. And we get beat up. We get condemnation from the enemy and accusation from the enemy when we're not supposed to. And we can stand above that. But the way we overcome is by coming alongside of someone that's down few times in life you come across people that really at a moment when you need it the most, they send you a text, they give you a phone call, they, they call you up and say, hey, I was thinking about God brought you to mind. And how many of us have had moments in our lives when it's been at the bottom rung where it seemed like everything was falling apart and out of nowhere, a person, two or three people came alongside and said, we're going to walk you through this and you were able to. I want to show you a story of a girl who was isolated, who had a panic disorder, who was all by herself and didn't believe that she could overcome. And by her side came these two individuals that said, we're going to walk you through this darkness. We're going to be there when you don't know where to go. We're going to be there when you're in the valley. We're going to be there with you when you're on the mountain. And we're going to help you become the person that Christ intended you to be. We will support you. We will allow you to walk through these times, but we won't leave you. Watch what happens when two come alongside one so that two make one more than just one by themselves. Watch this true story. Anna Clendenning, all right for your audition. All right, All right, group party. Go get them, girl. You got this. I got the shaking. All you, all you need, if anything goes wrong, just look to me. I'll be there. I got you. I'm going I'm to even walk with you. No. Keep it going. Yeah. You got it. (laughs) 
What's your name? I'm Anna. Anna Hi. Anna. How old are you, Anna? I'm 20 years old. And what do you do for a living? I don't have a job right now, but that has to do with my situation and stuff, so... What's your situation? I suffer from anxiety and depression disorder, so um, about, like, two or three months ago, I was bedridden, and I hadn't left my house in a couple months. When I was 14, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I suffered from a lot of panic attacks. I, you know, I couldn't leave my house most days. I couldn't leave my room. I couldn't get out of bed. It felt like my mind had given up on me. I just, I didn't, I didn't see a future. I, I just didn't want to be here anymore. And you start to, you know, question your ability as a parent. You can't do anything. You can't make it better. To see my little girl. <sighs> With therapy, I became better. And then about four months ago is when it hit me the hardest it's ever hit me before. I just, I felt so bad about myself. I didn't, I didn't like who I was. I, I didn't know how to bring myself out of it. And We felt helpless. We didn't know which way to turn and nothing was working. And music found her. Being here today is incredible. I remember I couldn't step out of bed. I didn't want to face the world, and now I'm facing thousands of people. It's just going to mean the world to me to see her out there and what it will do for her. You know, personally, I also have an anxiety disorder. I suffer from OCD. People don't really know what it takes and how much suffering it is. For you to even show up today is so amazing. Yeah. There isn't anybody alive that at some time doesn't need help in coping. And the world is here for you, and I just want to hear what you have to offer us. So just play and pretend like you're alone in your room and nobody's watching. Thank you. Okay? Thank you. We love you.
great was that? Everybody's here for you, and everybody loves you. How about it? That was amazing. I have a question, and it's amazing. I'm telling you that I deal with what you deal with. How did you get the courage to do what you did today? My parents, of course. Life is filled with peaks and valleys. You have seen and experienced a lot of valleys. Tonight, young lady, you are on a peak. Every time I watch that, it, uh, I think of people. I think of times in my life when I needed someone to help me get to the mountain. I can think of times when God has given me opportunities to come alongside of someone else and Pull them out of the valley. The power in that story is she was once isolated. But mom and dad came alongside. Walked her through the hard times, the good times. And were there at the moment when she was at her pinnacle. God has designed us to live in community. Here's what I know to be true. There are many of you in this room today, in the link watching across the world, that while you might be in the midst of a whole group of people, you feel all alone. Maybe you're widowed today. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're longing for your wife to agree with you in this relationship issue, and she keeps fighting you. And you feel like, I can't do this. I can't go on. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe this physical ailment has come your way. Maybe you're financially strapped. Maybe you're in the midst of this bubbly family and everything seems to be going well with them, but your life is falling apart. And maybe, just maybe, you're here today. And there's this emptiness and you have everything. You have the home, you have the vacation, you have the retirement fund, you have the cars, you you have the vacation spots, you have everything. Yet there's still this void in your heart that screams, I need something else. The Bible is clear that you and I are supposed to do life together. Two are more than one. And when two come alongside of one, this strand becomes three and gets much stronger. Yet the world wants to tell us something very different from that. You can make it to the top by yourself. It's all about you. Bulldoze your way to the top. Yet the word of God is clear. Paul says it clearly. We should look out the interests of others more than the interests of ourselves. I want to show you an example today through scripture of two coming alongside of one and three becoming strong so that a nation of God could stand in the time of difficulty and find themselves on the winning side. Grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put a Bible in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, like you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. Turn to Exodus chapter 17. If you don't know where that is, just open the front of the Bible. You'll see Genesis, and the next book is Exodus. 
And turn to Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to read together. So stand with me, and we'll read God's word together. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the people, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and drink. Water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is this Lord among us or not? You may have a seat. Every action creates a reaction. And as we begin this account, we see there are these people who call themselves God followers, who Moses has been leading for a long period of time, out of slavery, 40 years, out in this wilderness journey. And God has been caring for them, providing for them, crossing Red Seas, and, 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 and allowing them to see that he is real. And so they have all these things in their memory banks. Their, their, their hard drives are full. There's gigabytes of information of God's goodness, of God's provision, of God's miracles. It's there. It's stored. And yet now we find them in a moment where they're thirsty and they cry out to their leader, ready to stone him because they're thirsty. It's like, we would rather go back to Egypt, go back to slavery, go back to bondage, go back to darkness, go back where we weren't free so that we can get something to drink. And it's your fault, Moses. Like, imagine that for a second. A group of people that God is miraculously providing manna, Scripture tells us, every day for six days, and they didn't do it on, on the Sabbath. Every day they go out, and there was miraculously these, this, this, these, this bread, these crackers that taste like honey. They could go out and get as much as they needed. And day after day, no matter what day it was, except for that seventh day, they could be fed. And so they saw quail that appeared on the landscape. God miraculously provided for them, yet now they're thirsty, and they're upset, and they grumble. And they're ready to kill their leader. The people of God are angry and quick to criticize Moses. They even say to him, did you bring us out in this desert to die? And I want to say, have you checked your hard drive lately? And remember what God has done for you? Moses has a choice to make in this moment, as any leader does, as any parent, as any boss, as any human being. When you are being attacked, when you are being criticized for the way you're loving or leading or caring or whatever it is, you have a decision to make. Will I respond the same way they're responding to me? Will I shut them down? Or will I just love them in spite of all that they're saying to me? And so Moses says in verse 4, Lord, what should I do with these people? We could probably think of a couple things, couldn't we? Let me answer that, God. 
Lord, for us it might be, what should I do with this boss? Lord, what should I do with this neighbor who constantly lets his dog do the business in my yard? Lord, what should I do? Lord, what should I do with this wife or husband who refuses to listen, who refuses to have community in this relationship, who refuses to do what's best, who is stubborn, who, who believes their way? What should I do with this wife who will not godly submit to me, God? What should I do with her? What should I do with this daughter and son who has run far away? God, how do I love them continue through this time of rebellion? Lord, what should I do with these people who once followed me, but now they want to stone me? Have you ever been where Moses has been? Anybody? I have often, and you have too, and we will be there again. So Moses gets his answer from God that basically says, I want you to love them. I want you to grab the staff that you used in the Nile, that you struck the water and it turned to blood and it was one of the plague. Take the same staff, go give these complaining, grumbling people some water. So he takes the staff, stands out in front of the people. The Lord goes with him. He strikes the rock and he gives them water to drink. So he basically loves them and keeps no records of their wrongs. You see, love does that. Love keeps no records of wrongs. There's this little tidbit of information that often gets lost in the account. Look at verse 6 again. Look what it says. After the Lord answered Moses in verse 5, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the now and go. And then in verse 6, read the first phrase with me. Ready? Read. I will stand there before you. You see, God went with him. God didn't leave him alone. God says, you know what? I got your back. I'm right there with you. I know this is difficult. I know that you would rather just tell them off. I know that you would say, well, go ahead and go back to Egypt. You want it? Go. But I'm going to walk with you. We're going to do this together. And so in a time of need for Moses, God himself, as we know in Scripture, he's always with us. But he tells him, I'll go with you, Moses. So Moses goes out in front of the people, wanting probably the flesh side of him, just going back to Egypt. He goes back and he keeps no record of wrong. Meanwhile, God is by his side, holding up his arms so that he can do what's best. And so the people get water to drink. He stood by them. Now, here's what's really interesting about this account, because they had forgotten. Look, look at verse, chapter 16. Look at the end of chapter 16, right before this count. Uh, look what it says in verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave to you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of what in it? What's it say? Manna. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for how long? Generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan, and Omer, a one-tenth of Ephah. And so Moses was supposed, the Lord said, I want you to go out, and I want you to fill up this jar. Take this jar, and I want you to take some of the manna that has been collected. I want you to put it in a jar, so collect it. So they took this manna, they put it in a jar, and and he says, I want you to take this jar, and I want you to put it with the tablets of the law. And he says, I want them to be able to see. 
when you think the Lord hasn't provided, remember 40 years of honeygram crackers. <laughs> and all you had to do was walk out and pick it up. Why did God want this? Why did God put this beside the tablets, the covenant law? Why in his mind isn't the word of God enough? Here's why. Because we often need reminded that while God says this, we need to see it. So for generations, he said, hey, put the tablet of law and right beside it, get the cannon jar out of manna. And when they walk there, they can say, God is able. God did this, and there it is. Now listen, this is the same group that they carried this jar everywhere they went. (laughs) And now they're saying, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. If I was Moses, I'm grabbing the jar and saying, what? (laughs) Yet Moses demonstrates unconditional love. He just doesn't keep a record of their wrong, and he just loves them. You see, here's what I know about Christians, and here's what I know about myself. If I let the flesh rule, Christians can be like elevators. They can lift you up or bring you down. And so in that situation, Moses had a chance to tear them down or to lift them up. They had a chance with Moses to tear him down or lift him up. We are like elevators, and God has called us to bear one another's burdens, to lift one another up, to support one another, to create community, not isolation, so that the best can come out of us. Moses reacts in love to criticism and a death threat on his life. It's in these kind of times that we must remember that the enemy isn't the person. The enemy is the real enemy with the big E, and he's called Satan. And sometimes even a marriage relationship Athletic relationships and variety of relationships in the world, if they don't know Christ, we see the person as the enemy, and when the real enemy is the enemy called Satan. And sometimes even in the community of relationship and marriage, how many times are you angry at your husband? How many times are you angry at your wife? And you're just pitted at each other. You know what the enemy's doing while that's going on? He's like, got another one. When the real enemy is Satan himself. So... God was quick to remind Moses, listen, love these people. Don't keep any record of wrong. Go out, strike the rock, give them water to drink, move on. So Moses moves on. And look what happens in verse 8. After he gives them water to drink, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So the Amalekites are coming. And and there's a part of me that says, man, just sick them, Amalekites. They didn't want to come out here anyhow. But no, no, Moses says, Joshua, I want you to go grab some of your best men. And I want you to go on the front lines. I want you to get an army together. And I want you to fight for the people of God who just the day before were complaining, wanted to take my life, wanted to stone me because I love them and I'm willing to forgive them. And we are family. And when sometimes families have arguments and sometimes families say things they shouldn't say. But the midst of this, this argument, we need to gather together and rally around and not let the enemy defeat us. And so he does. He, Joshua grabs some people. And the text says he grabs some people and Moses himself, he grabs a staff to go to the top of the hill and to hold it up while Joshua is in battle. A lot can be said for someone who has stood the test of criticism like Moses has and gossip 
and the fiery arrows from his own people and then says, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I'm not only going anywhere, I'm going to stand in support of you. And listen, this is my responsibility. So the text says, and we're going to see, that Moses, he goes to the top of the hill. He takes two people with him, Aaron and her, and he's going to hold up his staff. And as long as he holds up his staff, the people of God are winning the battle. Now picture this man of God, if you can. Standing on the top of this hill in support of these people who just a few days before wanted to take his life. So Joshua gets some men to fight with him and Moses takes some of the elders with him. Two men that demonstrate unusual love and support standing alongside of Moses. Joshua now has a support team. Now he has an army around him supporting him and the whole community goes into battle instead of just one individual. Here's what I love about this narrative and this story. We were never created to do life alone. And when two get together and three come together and they have the same purpose and mission, we are unstoppable in Jesus Christ. Look what happens here. Look at verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And what's the name of the next three people? Moses, Aaron, and who? All right, help me out again. Look at verse 10. Moses, Aaron, and who? Her. Went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his what? What's it say? Hands. The Israelites were what? Winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were what? Winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his what up? One on one side one on the other, so that his hands remained steady for how long? Sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. We need others in support of us. We need them. There will be times in our lives when you and I need someone to come alongside of us, to support us and lift us up. We need people to come along that says, I got your back in the midst of this battle. And so we see from this account that there was Joshua who was out front. He had his soldiers with him. Yet while he was out in front with his soldiers, the reason he was able to win this battle was because behind him was a man named Moses. Moses was holding the staff up, and the scripture says as long as his arms were held up and The Israelites were winning the battle. But whenever his arms grew weary, the Amalekites won the battle. So Aaron and Hur stood alongside of him. Now listen to this. They stood there from morning till sunset. And as the Israelites went into the battle, they knew they weren't going alone. Because there was this support team around them. Two are better than one. A cord is three strands isn't easily overpowered. And so we have this beautiful picture of community taking place in this passage. Winning together is God's design for us. Let me explain what I mean by that. Life is not just about winning on your own. We are here to help others win. Too often you and I make decisions based on how this next potential step will help us, or me, or I? Or do I need this? 
Is this best for me? Our calendars are full of our interests, what we want. Yet God has designed us to live in community. And and Paul said that Christ, in Philippians 2, had others' interests. He placed them above his own. We say things like this. I've already done that, so I don't need that anymore. Yet Paul said we should have the same mind of Christ and should look after the interests of others over our own. Let me ask you a question. Do you? Do you place the interests of others above your own? And if you do, I want you to give us open eyes to your day planner. I want you to give me open eyes to your checkbook. If you say, yes, I have the interests of others over mine, then let me see how you planned your week. Let me see how you run your business. Let me see how you live out your life in the marketplace. Let me see how you teach your students. Let me see how you, you, you are a team player on this sports team. Is it all about you and your scoring? One of the most beautiful t- things in athletics is when you watch team work together, it's not I, it's everyone doing their part, supporting everyone. It makes the team stronger. It makes marriages stronger too. So here you have it. Moses standing behind up on the hill. Aaron and her. All day long. All day long, all battle long. And part of me wonders, how many times during this battle, like how many times did Joshua just look to the hill and the confidence of having a support team around him helped him overcome even so man to man, soldier to soldier in the battle. Let me ask you a personal question right now. Who are you helping to win right now? Just backtracking your week. Like, was it all your week? Poor me. Look at my life. Look at this. Look at that. Listen, I understand we go through hardship, and that's when we step aside and, and, or have people come to our side. But there's got to come a point where we are the support system for someone else. Are you truly a good teammate in this thing called life? Are you a good teammate at Grace Community Church? Do you join in with others to help others win? Or do you plot your own path? Do you have your own discipleship program? Your own quiet time? Your own single path? It's all about me. Or are you jumping in? Are you supporting in? Are you linking with other women? Are you linking with other men? Are you praying with other teens? Are you part of the team? Are you saying, I'm going to do it my way? When the word of God says, join in and help others win the battle. Let me tell you something very true. Winning together is much more fun than winning alone. Can I have one amen out of that? There's nothing better than winning together. So Aaron and her come alongside. I love how God like uses messages for me. He like he he speaks to me first, and I, I'm on my knees in forgiveness and saying, God, there's an area there, there's an area. And he, like every time I prepare a message, it's like, okay, we'll just see what you think about that, Jim. So last night, I'm going to a basketball game. My son is a sophomore for Fairfield. He plays on the JV basketball team, and we're heading to the basketball game. And like any parent, what's on your mind? Ann and I are in a vehicle. We're praying for Isaiah, praying for the team, praying that we'll be a good influence, praying that the team will make an impact. We're driving up County Road 9 to this game, driving along. And as most parents... We want to be there for the introductions. We want to catch the first few minutes. We want to say, hey, when your son looks up, you go, <laughs> you know, I'm a parent. I'm coming supporting alongside of him. 
and so is my wife. We're driving to this game, and we're getting close to the destination. And up ahead is this car. It's in the road. It's stopped. It's not even off the side of the road. And I see this lady. She's standing outside of her car. She's distraught. To be quite frank, I thought, (laughs) now, God? (laughs) Hey, I'm human, too. So we drive up, and I knew what the Spirit of God was calling us to do. We pull up beside this lady, and Ann hits the window, and she's frantic. She's, she's all by herself. All of a sudden, it's like I felt for her. It's like I was hurting for this lady I've never met before. And so I said, ma'am, what's wrong? Like, can we help you? She said, I was driving down the road. I'm selling Kirby vacuum cleaners, and immediately my heart fell for her. Anyone has to do that needs prayed for. <laughs> Seriously. And then I felt this wealth of emotion, like she's trying to make it. She said, my car jerked to the right, and I don't know why. She was afraid. She was by herself. I said, ma'am, can I take a look at your car? I pulled off the road, and all the other parents went by me. <laughs> I went back to her car, and I said, ma'am, what did it do? She said, I don't know. I just, it was driving along, and it jerked to the right, and, and it scared me. She said, I just wrecked my car just earlier, and so that might be a good reason why it did that. So... I looked up and looked at the front of her car, and her nose was smashed on it, and I noticed her tire was a little low, but I looked at the front end, and it didn't look like there was anything wrong. And so I said, ma'am, here's what we can do. I said, you hop back in your car. I said, I'll, you drive it up the road. I said, you jerk it left or right. We'll follow you. And if, it isn't okay, if it's okay, we'll let you go. Because I felt like I looked back, she probably hit a patch of snow, and it jerked her to her right, and fear overcame her. So she got... I was in front of her. She pulled out in front of me, and we're creeping up the road, driving up the road. She's jerking left and right, and she begins to move a little quicker, and we go by our destination where I'm supposed to turn in, going on up the road, and she's back and forth, and I know she began to straighten up. So we waved, and we turned left and came back. It was in those kind of moments that I realized that our interests should be placed below someone that's in need. So enter these two men. They stood there until sunset. And every time Moses' arms grew weary and started to droop, Aaron and her held them up. I've often wondered if Joshua glanced to the top of the mountain. I often wondered if if after the battle people asked, like, Joshua, who were the dudes up on top of the mountain? Like, Who was the guy that held the staff? And why did they stand there all day long? I bet he said something like this. Well, you see those three up on the mountain and you see the old guy in the center? (laughs) With his arms raised high. And those two young men beside him holding up his arms. Did you realize that I couldn't have won the battle without them? Did you realize that every time I went into battle and I knew that the man of God behind me was in support and praying for me and asking for favor on the battle, did you realize that if he wouldn't have been there, we wouldn't have all won this battle? Can I ask you a question? In this piece of community, where are you at? Like, are you with Joshua on the front lines fighting? Are you Joshua? Are you Moses standing in support behind, calling upon the Lord? Are you Aaron and her coming alongside and refreshing this brother who's interceding on behalf of his people? Where are you in this peace? Like right now, 
If someone was in the midst of something, would they even turn your way for help? Like, is your name written in the margins of the Bible of this account that says, if I go through this, I'm calling him. I'm calling her. Would they depend on you? What list are you on right now for someone else? Paul tried to say it best in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. He said that we should carry or bear each other's burdens. And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Eugene Peterson said it even better, I think, in the message or translation. He said, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. And so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. Who's looking your way for support these days? In a church of this size, who are you holding up? Who are you helping to win? Where have you said, I don't need that. I already got that. How many times do you think about your interests instead of jumping in and helping women and helping men to go on journeys and saying, it's not about me. I'm going to help someone else win because it's too good to not win together. So what happens? Well, let's look here. After he held his arms up in verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And then he says this. I love this line. Make sure that who hears it? Why do you think he wanted Joshua to hear this? Because Joshua was just as prone as we are to forget what Christ or God had done for him. He said, make sure he hears it. That Listen. No one can stand, not even the Malachites can stand against God. And when the odds are stamped against you, when the odds are stacked against you, listen, if God is for us, who could ever stand against us? That's what this reminder is. Listen, who are you standing with? Who are you supporting right now? Where have you checked out and said, I'm not jumping into prayer encounter. (laughs) Let them pray. I'll pray by myself. Where have you checked out of a small group when there's someone that's walking what you've already walked through? You know, that sanctification journey is a beautiful process. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, when you've walked through something, God has comforted you. He stood right out there with Moses. It says, and now that God has done that for you, you walk with someone else and say, with God, I'm going to walk you through this. That's called community. So Moses writes this down. And then it tells us this in verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Malachites from generation to generation. In other words, the Jim Brown paraphrase, this reminder is don't mess with our God. Maybe God's calling you out right now for the lady that's stranded. Maybe God's just calling you to live in community with your husband. When is the last banner that you flew that gave God great glory? When was your last altar constructed that says, look what the Lord did and we won together because we rallied around as one body of Christ and we supported each other and we knew who the real enemy was and it wasn't him and it wasn't her. It was the enemy called Satan and we were victorious in your face, Satan. 
You see, in our lost world, they're longing for that kind of community. Because it's rare. Like, we live in an independent world that says, climb your way to the top, knock them over, knock them down, get to the top. Yet I don't see that in Scripture. I see linking arms with one another, shoulder to shoulder, lifting and carrying up. When he falls down, you pick him up. When she falls down, she picks her up. And when you fall down by yourself, they pick you up. I see this journey, not alone. I see shoulder to shoulder, men and women, band of brothers and and sisters, marching, storming the gates of hell together and overcoming. That's the picture. You see, but Satan sees it. He wants you to be isolated. Because you know what happens when you're isolated? It's pity party. Oh, life is horrible. Where's everyone at? It's difficult. And the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy and separate us. Some truths from this account today that apply to us. If you're feeling all alone... Cry out to God. Let someone know your need. Listen. There's a support group waiting to come alongside of you. If you're you're either holding up someone's arms or someone else is holding up your arms. So whose arms are you holding up right now? Who are you going to gather with after this service this week? Who are you going to call? Who are you going to text? Who are you going to pray with? Who are you going to join together and say, you know what? I've been on that journey before, but you know what? I'm going to help you win in this journey, and I'm going on that 40-day challenge with you. You know what? Even though I, I, I seem to have this all together, and that's a lie because you don't have it all together, I'm going to go together, and you're going to sharpen me, and I'm going to sharpen you, and we're going to win together. See, way too many Christians are bringing others down instead of lifting them up. You might not carry the sword into battle, but your prayer support, your presence, your words of encouragement are just as important as the guy on the front lines with the sword. Love keeps no records of wrongs. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Altars and banners give credence to a lost world that love wins. For some, it's been years since you stepped out and helped someone. Some of you have been sitting at Grace Community for months and years, and you keep getting fed, and you keep getting equipped, you keep getting challenged, and the Spirit of God keeps calling you out, and you say, oh, I need, I need longer, I need longer. Listen to me. The rapture could occur this week. Who your arms are you holding up? Wouldn't it just be awesome? This is my dream. If we truly became the ones that came on alongside of someone else so that we could see two holding up one, wouldn't it be awesome if we walked through the churches in the, the, this vicinity? Wouldn't it be awesome if after the services in the hallways, you just saw brothers and sisters like leaning in and pressing in, holding up the arms of someone that's hurt? Wouldn't it be awesome if everywhere you went, there was someone by your side able to walk you through, keeping you accountable and winning? Wouldn't it be awesome if that was the fabric and DNA of every day, of every hour, of every minute of our lives? Here's what I know to be true. My shepherd heart knows this to be true in this case. I, I know you're here today. Like Some of you were like that girl at the beginning. You're wondering if you can go on. Some of you are sitting right beside someone right now, and you are lonely. Like You are the loneliest person in, the, in this building. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I can make it with this child. They, they, they run away from God, and 
I need to know that there's other, other moms and dads that have been through it with someone. Some of you are widowed and you're saying, it's lonely. Like, it's been a hard winter and I miss my wife. I miss my husband. Some of you are so far from God that you're just longing to find Jesus to fill that void. Listen to me. Please listen to me. There's a group of people here that want to come alongside of you. Don't listen to the voice that says, don't identify yourself. You'll be okay by yourself. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So here's what I'd like to do. As Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Jeremiah come, I'm going to ask you to do something. Like, now listen, don't listen to the voice of the enemy that says, don't admit that. I'm going to ask you to do something. Then I'm going to ask the body of Christ that's here in the link. And if you're watching by internet, I'm going to ask you to send us an email. Call the church offices. I'm going to ask you to do something. As Jeremy, Jeremiah began to play this song, I'm going to ask you to stand and hold up your arms. Say, I need support. I don't know if I can make it. I'm going to ask you to just humbly submit yourself. And then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask for brothers and sisters to come alongside and hold up those arms of those people. Now listen to me. It's going to be difficult. And right now your heart is going... Listen, that's the spirit of God saying, stand. The best way to find healing is in community. So I'll pray. Lord, I ask in this moment that those are saying, I just need support. I don't know if I can make it. I got this job interview and I'm unemployed or I got this boss I have to face this week or my child has run away from God and I'm sick or I'm lonely and, or for the first time I realize I got everything but I, am, I have nothing. I'm going to ask you to do something. As we've done in our early service, we had people stand up everywhere. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and raise your arms and I'm going to ask the church of God to come alongside and hold up those arms as we listen to this song. So please, this is your chance to find the support that you need. Please, God, move in this moment. I pray for honesty. I pray for support. And I pray that you get greater glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I ask you to stand. In the way so move around, move towards him, help him. Go move towards him. Get a little restless from the search, get a little worn out in between. Like a bull chasing the matador, is a man left to his own schemes. Everybody needs someone beside him, shining like a lighthouse from the sea. So, brother, let me be your shelter. Never leave you all alone. I can be the one you call when you're low. Brother, let me be your fortress when the night winds are driving on. Be the one to light the way, bring you home. Face down. 
let me be your shelter I'll never leave you all alone I can be the one you call when you're alone you gotta pray in this moment of community <laughs> it does my pastor's heart good to see this guy this is the bride of Christ at its finest moment this is where we're strong God this is where we support and care and we take all this equipping that you've given to us and we apply it. God, this is beautiful. This, this is the way it should be. I just pray, God, it just doesn't happen once a week. And now, God, I pray in an unusual way, like for the brothers and sisters with their arms held high. I pray, God, that you would bring healing from heaven like that can only be explained by you. Like, God, give them a canning jar of evidence. God, I pray that they'll look back on this day and they'll hold that jar. You remember the Sunday that, 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 I, that I cried out and, and I got support. And, and this was the day when God brought healing. So, Lord, I ask in a miraculous way, like far more than we could ask or imagine right now, that, God, you would do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundant above what they're asking. I pray, God, that your presence, your power, your healing would feel them right now, and they would just sense your presence and, and the healing that needs to take place, God. God, do what you're good at. Here, here are your children. They're crying out. They have support system around them, God. Just do it, God, please. And now, Lord, I pray... For those who are holding up the arms, I pray they'll grab the name, I'll grab the phone number, the text, and that it won't stop here, that it'll continue on, and they'll walk this brother, this sister through in the days ahead. Thank you, God. This is Grace Community Church at its finest. Thank you, God, for what you're doing right now. We just commit this moment to you in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Three. Brother, let me be your shell.